If you want to hear something new, but you don't know how to choose it, come and join Andy and Chris on Adventures in New Music. Two new records every week, a playlist of our favorite songs. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And adventuresinyoumusic.com So check out our Woolly Analysis Which occasionally gets boozy Get on board and come along On Adventures in Old Music It's episode 31 of Adventures in New Music And to round off the year it's the first of our two specials. Tonight, it's all about At The Drive-In and their wonderful album, Relationship of Command. Mine and Andy's favourite album of all time. But why is that? <laughs> I don't know. Released on the 12th of September 2000, Relationship Command was at the drive-in's third full-length studio album and it came out on the Beastie Boys, then very trendy, Grand Royale record label. It was coined by many as one of the great albums of the time. They were hailed as the next Nirvana, the next this, the next that. And uh, critics across the board seem to love it. And yet somehow the band... On this wave of success imploded a mere 10 months later. The first day I met Chris uh, back in 2005, we were chatting about music as we tend to do. And um, I, I told him that Relationship of Command was my favourite album of all time. And he said, no way, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly the same as that. And so began our, our big conversation about it, which is still going on 16 years later so chris relationship of command when did you first hear about it what did you know about it when you first began listening well not a massive amount if i'm honest with you i um sort of quite haphazardly came across at the driving i um i actually saw them at leeds festival in 2000 when they were playing the carling tent mm -hmm. um which was like the new band's tent if you will um and I'd actually gone to watch a band called Little Hell. I don't know if you remember Little Hell. Um, the lead singer was in a band called Carrie back in the day. And um, the, one of the bands that I was in had just supported him. So I'd gone to the smaller tent to watch Little Hell. And I'd gone with a friend of mine um, called Ryan. Um, and he was a massive at the driving fan. And they were like on after Little Hell. So he's like, oh, we've got to stick around and watch these. So sure enough, we did stick around and watch these. And um, they were pretty insane. Pretty mm. insane live band. So that was really my first introduction to, to At The Driving in the summer of 2000. And then 
In September 2000, when this album was released, I'd just moved from Preston in the north of England to London uh, to study at university. And I happened to see the album in uh, Ealing Broadway, HMV, and um, just bought it. And it's pretty much been on ever since. <laughs> so Reading and Leeds are, are sister festivals, and they're, they're at the very end of August. Uh, so yeah, it would have been a good couple of weeks before the the record was out. But yeah. I I saw them at the Reading of that year. Oh, okay, and I'd already heard the hype, and I'd gone with the intention of just kind of checking them out. And so I was there as they were setting up their own gear and mm. stuff. And it was one of those times where the tent was kind of filling around me. Whoever had been on before them, uh, Little Hell, I guess probably at the Reading as well. Um, I hadn't been particularly interested in but i'd wanted to get there early for the at the driving set thinking it might be busy and it, the tent just filled and filled and filled and it was like oh okay this is one of those uh you know events and i was of the age where i was like hype Ugh, i'm gonna i'm, I'm yeah, gonna hate yeah. these guys i'm gonna think these guys are rubbish and i um i remember them starting and just going crazy and just being like I'm not really following this. I'm not really getting this at all. Like it's really frantic. Everyone's dancing. There's loads of big hair. Um, but the crowd are really still. And I think there's some contingent at some point started rocking out and leaping around as rock crowds do. And uh, Cedric, the singer, in a break was like, stop it. Stop slam dancing. You know, no crowd surfing. One of our friends got really injured uh, crowd surfing and da, 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 like, we'll stop the show if you keep doing and I was like, oh, God, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> and I um, I was starting to go, oh, I really hate bands that get hyped. Because what I remember of them is that they'd had like a 5K review in Kerrang, mm. which was, uh, you know, as, as, as many Ks as you could get. And and there was a really cool photo of them looking trendy with their trendy hair, these five skinny, you know, Texan Mexicans and it – just looking looking really awesome so they looked awesome they sounded like nothing i had any clue about they were quite bossy on stage but going crazy themselves and i was like yeah i don't i don't get this and so i did that classic thing when you're a bit of a snotty teenager and i was like right i'm leaving and so i don't know half three quarters of the way through the set i was like right i'm leaving this tent and i'm gonna make sure everyone knows i'm, I'm leaving in a huff so I was shaking my head and going yeah as I as I walked through the crowd and I just it was taking me so long to get through this crowd and then I got outside the tent and the crowd was still there and I was like I'm an idiot I'm missing like a I'm I'm turning my back on a real I don't know big event but anyway I thought very little of it but uh, I've probably said this story before but my friend had a sample CD like a Kerrang free CD and on it was a track from this album and I used to go around to my friend's house and go, let's put on that at the drive-in again and listen to it. It's rubbish. And I'd always go around. It was my next-door neighbour. I'd always go around and bang that track on and be like, oh, this is rubbish. Should we put it on again? And, <laughs> I, and, and it was it was one of those things where I was like, right, I'm going to buy the album, but I better not tell my neighbour because I've been rubbishing this for so long. And I remember just listening to it to death and just going, I don't, I don't even... I have no idea what this is, but this is amazing. And just yeah. falling in love with it. It's it's really interesting that because I, um, 
I remember little about the show in Leeds other than the fact that I went to watch them. I don't, I don't think it was, I'd love to say it was some big, you know, groundbreaking moment of seeing them live and just being knocked, you know, knocked sideways by it. But it, but it really wasn't. It was, no. You know, there's so, I mean, to, to be completely honest with you, I went to watch Deftones on the main stage, so I probably forgot about it 10 minutes later. Oh, you yeah, know, I was, I was straight after. Well, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was it was kind of like when I saw the album in HMV, and it was like on a little display in the rock section. It was like, oh, right, oh yeah, that's that that's that band, that's that band. And you know, it was it was almost like just take oh, I'll take a bit of a punt. Yeah, quite enjoy, quite enjoyed them live. I'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll sort of take a take a bit of a punt. I knew nothing of the first two albums. Did you? Uh, no, not at that point. I did. I did later. So you got Acrobatic Tenement and In Casino Out. And there's also a, an EP called Via. I don't know. If, uh, yes, you know that as well? that's right. Yeah. But I, um, I, I remember reading in a fanzine about, about uh, Acrobatic Tenement that they had loads of criticisms of it, like they spelt one of the tracks wrong. It's meant to be some samurai terminology and they spelt it wrong. They were really gutted about that. And something about production, like the, the, the first track on it is called Star Slight and it's really... You could, you could see where they were going. You could see that they would eventually get to Relationship and Command, but it's sort of an underwhelming album in, in terms of energy and things like that. Then In Casino Out is a, is a real step up. It's really big. But again, it doesn't, it's not as frantic and crazy. But to be honest, you can probably see a little bit more Mars Volta in In Casino Out. You start to see a little bit of that sprawling kind of madness going on with some of the tracks. But I think Relationship of Command is like this really tight, frantic, I don't know, like it's, it's, it's perfect. I remember putting it on for a mate in his car. I think he played me something like The Thrills. <laughs> like, do yeah. you remember them? Yeah, I do like, remember them. So much for the so city. So much for the city, yeah. Like really like, oh, Very okay. pedestrian. Yeah. Great choice of words. Yeah, very pedestrian. And uh, he was like, listen to this. And I was like, oh, yeah, good. Listen to this. And I put on Arc Arsenal, the opening track from Relationship of Command. And, you know, it starts with the old Maracas. Yeah. The count on that, I'll never understand before everything comes hurtling in. Um, but he, like, he listened to that first track and it finished. And he was like, right, we'll stop that. And I was like, why? And he's like, it's amazing. It's amazing. But it's action movie music. It's like everything all at once. And I'm like, oh, that's such a cool description. I mean, it's yeah. not like the soundtrack to like an action movie or anything. God, yeah. It's one hell of a movie. But I sort of knew what it meant. Quite kitchen sink. Yeah. Mm. So, well, let's get into the album then, shall we? I mean, the first the, the first thing really about it is the production of it. Yeah. It's, it, so it's... it's Ross Robinson, who's, who's produced it, who of That's course right, is, yeah. you know, a, a big player in this sort of movement. Um, he's produced a lot of stuff. He produced a lot of the corn stuff, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, Sepultura and Soulfly, Limp Biscuit, Slipknot, Glassjaw, Amen. But he's also produced. He's had a few curveballs along the ways. He, he produced one of the last Cure albums, mm-hmm. and he also produced uh, an album that we looked at last year, the Touche Amore album yes. as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, He's got a very unique sound. You can you can almost instantly tell it's his production on it. And he's also quite famed for getting the most out of performers in quite um, 
unique way. She yeah, was quite. I mean, there's that story about him throwing a plant pot at Corey Taylor when they were recording the first <laughs> yeah, album yeah. to get him angry to get the lyrics out. It's you know, there's there's all sorts of little stories. I, I like the cut of his gym. I like the way he works. You know, yeah. Like I was, I was reading something or watching. Oh no, is that that video you sent me about the uh, about the recording of this album, where they're talking about him being quite spiritual? He could tell when people weren't on their game, you know, with uh, with their performances. He's like, oh, let's take a walk. Let's let's work this out. And you know, it's really quite interesting that he would do that. I um, I actually really like a lot of his a lot of his stuff. I mean, the, the things he's done. Um, I'm 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 actually looking at a kind of. List of them all now. He, he did one track it's, off it's the first Deftones album, and it is amazing. He actually did one of my favorite albums, and I say this is one of my favorite albums ever. It's by a band called Human Waste Project. Called uh, the album's called Elux or Electrolux, and uh, it's one of those albums that's one of my favorite albums because no one knows about it, and it's like God, I really yeah. love that album. I wish more people knew about it. So every opportunity I get, I'm like, this is one of my favorite albums, and it's funny. I can't help listening to that album without thinking that the snare sound on it sounds like someone just whacking a sheaf of paper with like a mallet it's just like <laughs> it just sounds awful it's like womp like every, it's like just a pan well the production on this is so it's so bass driven and bass yeah, heavy yeah. isn't it i mean the bass really is the sort of it, it's I, I always get the opinion whenever you see like any at the driving performances or you know when you sort of hear this, it, it's very much I feel like the 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 bass player, the drummer, and the second guitarist, shall we say, mm-hmm. are the ones who are holding the show together, and it feels like they're just sort of giving Omar and Cedric free reign to sort of just noodle over the top and just be crazy. I mean, especially when you see them live mm-hmm. in the most extreme performances, which you know we'll get onto later. It's them three guys who are absolutely tight as anything. I always used to want to, like, not always used to want to be, but I always used to look at Jim Ward, like, who's playing guitar and keyboards, and he's quite, mm. a, like, an industrious player. Like, he's, 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 he's like, like you say, he's kind of holding it down. I, was, I always wanted to be that guy, you know? He's, he's, play, he's playing the rhythm parts. I mean, but actually, neither of them play rhythm parts, really. They're both... In any other band, they're both lead guitarists. They're both all over the show. Yeah. But uh, he's definitely the one kind of holding it together. Um, Paul Hinojos, Hinojos, I'm not sure how to say his surname, but the bass player. I always really love, I, I think you're right, how, how bass-driven this album is. And I, I really quite, I veer from loving and being like mystified by the bass sound on this album. Yeah. Because it is, it's quite farty. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, know? like when he gets kind of solo um, bass parts, like say something like. Well, I mean, the obvious examples is, is like Mannequin Republic. That's probably that's probably a really good show, actually, Mannequin Republic, because that is really quite fast, and you can hear the, yeah. the bass kind of just going. <laughs> so, yeah. And <laughs> all over the place. I, I really quite like that. And then and then you've got a song like Quarantine, where the bass really kind of carries the whole song. And both guitarists are up in the higher registers. And uh, it, it's really like, uh, I don't know, it's slower and it's a lot more kind of ambient almost. I mean, it's not because it just boots off and it sounds amazing. That's one of my favourite tracks, actually, track nine. Um, starts off with the thunderstorm and then the bass riff rumbles. It's just very, very cool. But yeah, I, 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 I do like how, how kind of solid and industrious they are. And uh, I suppose we better give a, a, 
mentioned to Tony Hadjar or Hayar. I don't really drummer. know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, awesome. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, I mean, the drums are, are really quite... It, yeah, it's just... It's it's really quite different, isn't it, what he's bringing to the band. You know, it's really, really unusual. Completely. Like, it's just... just I don't know. I, I had a listen to the record tonight um, with my kids who had some interesting opinions, which I'll go on to. But even listening to, like, Rolodex Propaganda, the one with uh, Iggy Pop on it, the way that the kind of first half of the verses is kind of all over the place... And then the drums sort of pull it together somehow, like pull the rest of the verse together and make it drive. I don't really. It's incredible that. Listening to it, I haven't really understood it. No, me neither. And it really does with that track. It takes until the second line of the verse to sort of settle into it, Mm -hmm. settle into the groove. And like Mm -hmm. you've you've hit the nail on the head, perfect. Then it's like I have never been able to find out or figure out where the pulse is up until like the second line. It all sort of simmers and sits properly. But the drums are like just all over the place. Yeah. I mean, that's quite an unusual track, and it just shows, you know, for for at the time for a band that was pretty much up and coming, they were playing the new band stage at festivals. They had that pull to get Iggy Pop on, but, yeah. you know, in, in one of the songs. Now, I think a lot of credit's got to be down to Ross Robinson for that. It sounds like he was the one who instigated that um, and, and brought them together. But it just works perfectly. So, uh, Rolex Propaganda, which is track eight on the album, which is also is one of three singles on the on the uh, for, to, to be taken from this album. Um, it's an odd little song. It is. It is an odd little song, and, and Iggy Pop's um, cameo on it, I guess, is it's really yeah. weird. Like, yes. I don't know this weird, this, this sort of punk operatic. I don't even know what he says. Manuscript replica. Yeah, well, it's kind of like. (laughs) (laughs) But the way it's done is it's like a call and response, and sort of Cedric is almost like sort of coaxing him through the vocals. It's almost like he's teaching him on the fly (laughs) what the melody of the song is while he's doing it. I always think that when I listen to it, it's you know, like Iggy Pop will deliver it, and then Cedric's like, You got it! Yeah, yeah, you got it! You know what I mean? It's so weird. But cool, but cool. It's really cool. So, Rolodex Propaganda was one of the singles. What were the other two? So, the main single, I think the one that that, that led it was One Arm Scissor, which arguably ah, yes. the, the biggest track that at the driving of, of, of released, which, mm-hmm. you know, it is a huge single, isn't it? Absolutely huge single. And, um, yeah, I remember sort of being blown away by that because the verses are in three and it's like one of the first times that I've heard something so heavy and gone, no way, that's in like three in the verses. And... Um, it, it is. It's a. It's a. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. It's a so brilliant song. Well, I remember when that one came out as a single. And even though I've just kind of asked you the leading question of what were the other singles, Chris? Um, <laughs> um, I do remember when it came out, and being slightly surprised that that was a single choice. And I don't know why, because you know, on reflection, it was, it was massive. But I could have quite happily, not happily. But either side of it, you've got Pattern Against User and Sleepwalk Capsules, mm. both of which are kind of arguably more hooky. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know if hooks was really what this band go for anyway. But, um, but, but One Arm Scissor is uh, is a terrific song, and one of the things that I, or one of the ways I've kind of loved that song more in, in recent years is because of Rick Beato and his What Makes oh, This yeah. Song Great series. And listening yes. to the isolated tracks on it, and going, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, what? 
Because <laughs> the guitars are so out of tune. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, uh, it's this great bit where he fades everything else down and goes, listen to the two guitars. And they're both like, oh, I don't know. Like when you find a guitar in a garage and you pick it up and you strum it and you go, ooh, that's not good. And, you're like, and it's like both guitars are playing kind of interlinking riffs. And each guitar is out of tune. Together, they sound mega. And you would never know in the mix of that song that anything is out of tune. Mm, Blows my mind. But I feel like that's quite a nice distillation of what goes on on this album. This album is way more than the sum of its parts. In every, every track, in every second of this album, it's like there is gold somehow. And it's not just, you know, two guitars, a bass, vocals, drums, and a synth. It's like, what happened between Mm. all those things being played and my ears? It's it's funny, isn't it? As well, the the band are so famed for the live performances and how Mm. much they sort of, you know, how how they went off. I mean, one of the most famous, um, I think, performances certainly of that song is the Jules Holland performance when they play Mm -hmm. One Arm Scissor (laughs) on Jules Holland, which is. in equal measures, both the best and worst performances I've ever seen on Jules Holland, because it's musically it's pretty dreadful. I mean, um, Omar, the guitarist, manages to knock his guitar out of tune in the first bar, so it is so badly out of tune in the song to the point where he ends up just launch- taking it off and launching it, doesn't he? He just throws it and starts starts dancing around um and there's a point where the cedric the singer just goes and takes takes a seat off somebody in the audience he's throwing it up in the air and and they're just they're just being they're just absolutely crazy they're just absolutely all over the place um but it is so cool and so punk and i revisited this this week just to refresh my memory on it and something that i had forgotten about do you remember watching this on jules holland mm-hmm so they finish and like they pretty much have smashed up their little set straight over to the next performer, who is Robbie Williams, yes. who just sits there bemused yeah. <laughs> behind the piano. <laughs> it's yes. just super. I do remember that. I remember the Robbie Williams thing. Uh, yeah, and I remember thinking like, yeah, take that, pal. You can't follow that. Yeah. As much as I like to be open-minded about music, I hate Robbie Williams. You do. Yeah, you have mentioned that once or twice. But I mean, that was that was them probably, a, a, you know, a, a displaying how destructive they could be live. Yeah. But have you ever seen the Letterman performance of One Arm Scissor? No, I don't think I have. It's incredible. They are so tight. It, it's brilliant. It's so good. There's going to be a lot of um, links in the show notes for, mm. to all these videos, so please do check them out. But it's like it's almost like chalk and cheese. It's like <laughs> that. That is the band who've turned up. They've gone right. Professional heads on, lads. Let's absolutely smash this. You know. Whereas Jules Holland one feels like the sort of you know last day of the tour. We've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> Our equipment doesn't work. Let's just get it get it done and get back in the van. <laughs> so that was the second, or that was you know. Another single. And the third single was... And the third single is uh, Invalid Litter Department. Uh, yes. Yes. Now, this is this is a great moment on the album. So this is, for me, this is where the, the album drops energy for the first time. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean this is that first respite. First change of pace, isn't it, really? And it, you know, starts with the kind of scratchy, delay, high-pitched, spacey bits on guitar, and then a piano riff. And you're like, what? We've just had 
which had four tracks of full on like whoa beating around the head with, with this stuff and then you got this and um, yeah I, me- I remember the video for this and reading the blurb on that and that, so this, this is a song about correct me if I'm wrong Chris because uh, I know you've done some research more recently than me but about sort of the the murders and disappearances of various kind of Mexican women along the uh, US-Mexican border is that right? Yeah, so essentially it's it's um, it's from a, a just a, across the border from where at the driving we're from in Texas, so from El Paso in Texas. And, um, there was, uh, or there still is actually, rather worryingly, I researched into it earlier this week. Um, factories where young women would work, and um, hundreds upon hundreds of them went disappearing, you know, disappeared and were, and were found sort of dead in the out in the desert um, and basically this is at the driving sort of trying to bring to light a little bit about this you know in particular that video is quite critical of the you know the Mexican police and their lack of response to the cases so it's pretty dark really lyrically I'm going to touch on the lyrics for the whole album okay just don't know what he's going on about at any point no not a clue but this song somehow once you know that for me it conjures up a hell of a lot of imagery without him ever using the words that, that spell it out for you Cedric somehow just don't know makes you realise what's going on her shoes grip this dirt floor in the silhouette of dying polyester satin nail jewellery lips while the guillotine just laughed again all of these things it was I don't know from a kind of literature perspective, it's genius. It's like poetry that makes you understand what he's talking about without any of the words pointing the way. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's amazing. Any line in that track is just bewilderingly good. I don't understand it. I don't understand how he's put the words together. But then I don't really, like I was saying, don't understand any any of the sentences on the album. Um I don't no, really. I probably the, don't know what most of the words to uh, to the album are because a lot of them are screamed oh, and shouted, and you can sing 100%. along and you just put the, put the syllables that sound about right. We, but and to be honest, I mean, we saw them when they reformed. We saw them at yeah, the, the yeah. Roundhouse in London when they when they reformed. And I've got to say, I think because at the driving reformed a few years ago, and then they did a tour, and then they recorded a new album, and then they did another tour. And I think that we hit them at the right time <clears> when we saw it live because. We sort of got them when they were just revisiting all the old material. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was primarily Relationship of Command when we oh, saw them man. live, wasn't it? And it was amazing. It was so, 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 so good. Um, and then when they brought the, the album out, which I actually quite liked. I quite liked yeah, the album, yeah, but yeah. I'm glad I'm glad that we saw them when it was purely a bit of a, you know, nostalgic look back on their yeah. back catalogue. Uh, you know, I, I'm quite happy that, I, you know, I didn't need to yeah. see the new songs live. I was quite happy with what we got. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I remember uh, reading a review of the gig and because they opened with Arc Arsenal, which I've already yeah. described as, you know, opening with these maracas and this, uh, uh, Cedric gets a front of the stage leaning on the monitor. He's, you know, they've all come out. Everyone's going, yeah. Woo. And then yeah. he just, uh, he's got the maracas. Everyone knows what's coming. Yeah. And he just leans on the monitor. And he goes, shh. And I don't, yeah. I, you know, watching it live, I was like, how are they going to count this? Like, is it one, two, three, four, five? Is it, is it seven? Is it 12? What is it? No idea. Yeah. But the band just come rocketing in all together at an indeterminate point. 
And yeah. And I remember reading a review. At which point I didn't. At which point I didn't think I saw you for another hour then, because we just got separated oh. in the crowd straight away. You know what? That was that was the last time I was in a pit. I don't really remember what it was. What year it was? Uh, when was it? Twenty. Well, I don't know. Sixteen. I don't know. Some, yeah, anyway, five years, I'd say. If I was guessing. Yeah, it was the sweetest pit ever. It was full of guys our age just going, yay! <laughs> yeah, it was, wasn't it? Like everyone it helping each other, everyone a little bit overweight and unfit and just like, oh, you're right, mate. Yeah, okay, come on up. Super friendly, lots of hugging strangers who were just really, really happy. It was one of the yeah. most joyful celebrations of music. Oh, man, I didn't half ache though the next day. I mean, I've, I've run five marathons in my life and I, I ached more after that at the driving <laughs> kick than any marathon I've ever run oh my goodness oh my oh, goodness good I, I think for, for, for one song I don't think my feet actually touched the floor <laughs> it's just <laughs> getting, just moving with the waves of the crowd it was incredible it was Ooh, so it was good such good fun and we were with the Haggis brothers Robin, Robin Diz as well the barrel I laugh but I remember reading a review of that gig and they talked about that maraca shaking bit as like a I can't can't quite remember the words, but it was like the the rattlesnake that that dawns the start of a you know, and I was like, oh, that's so cool! I never really thought of it. Like yeah, that. yeah, that is good. That is good. That is good. And that song, I mean, it's just what an opening to an album. It's so good. It's so good. So apparently, there's there's a few people online thinking that that opening song, Ark Arsenal, is all about Jeffrey Dahmer. Really? How? Song, like, yeah, why? yeah. How do they? How so do they just a lot. Well, a lot of the lyrical content. For, well, the obvious one, for example, "Have you ever tasted skin? Sink your teeth in." <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of yeah, a lot of lyrics that you know that sort of point to that. I mean, it may or may not be. It, it's pretty lyrically. That is quite dark. I think that opening song is is quite a, a, quite a dark opening. One of the things I just mentioned was the the kind of passion with which it's delivered. So I've already said, well, we've already talked about how the lyrics. Don't really seem to make any sense. But one of the things that totally floored me about this record was the conviction with which he sings every word. Yeah. Like it yeah. makes the most amount of sense ever. Like it really matters. And um my favourite track on this album is Cosmonaut, track ten, which is funny enough the first track I ever heard, which was on my friend's CD, and which was like which is the one I used to put on and go, ooh, aren't they rubbish? And then try and listen to it as many times as possible while trying to be a cool, snotty teenager. And, uh... Um, but there's a bit in Cosmonaut. It's the middle eight, actually. Um, yeah. I know exactly the bit you mean. I, I've yeah, written down three highlights, three highlights yeah. from the album. This go is on one. Then. Go on, I'll let you take the floor. Go, go on, you... you All right, let's see, it. let's see if we align. It's got a fantastic mid-late where the chords just are really staccato. The, 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 and they do this a lot, real stabs on the guitar, but it's like... And both guitarists are kind of working in harmony with these really aggressive chord stabs, which are just brilliant. But then Cedric, I've no idea what he says, but it's like... And then, it, and then his voice just breaks for the third time doing it, and he's kind of and then just like his voice just kind of shatters in this scream, and it just gets to the heart of me every time, like just tingles, hair that's standing on end, everything. I'm just like, that's 
it. That's the power of music. Whatever yeah. it is, it's just grabs me every time and blows my mind. Because you can sort of imagine them doing it in the same way. You know, we've all seen clips from Rage Against Machine recording their first album. It was done live and they were all sort of, all the mates were kind of watching mm. them record it. It was almost like a live gig. And this almost feels like parts of it are, are the same. It's, you know, it's so raw. It's so live. Like you can just picture him just delivering that vocal. You yeah. know, it's just like absolutely giving everything, absolutely yeah. everything. Uh, that is a huge highlight for me. Another yeah. one, like lyrically, and again, the way that he sort of delivers the vocals. I, for, for vocals, I love uh, Sleepwalk Capsules, which is track four. Yeah. It's almost like, it's so frantic. It's like Cedric can't get the vocals out quick enough. He can't get the words out quick enough. And the, the line that always gets me, again, same sort of hair on the back of the neck standing up, is um, when he screams, and the Emperor still wears no clothes. Yeah, yeah. It's just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So that was apparently a little bit, of, or maybe not apparently at the time, but it became a little bit about how they felt about this record. Because it was being so heavily lauded, because the Beastie Boys had seen such potential in him, or, or the A&R guy, I didn't um, And it was like, you guys are going to be huge kind of thing. They described it, or they were kind of coined as saying it's the emperor's new clothes it's like we don't we you know someone needs to point out that we're just a band doing our thing and it's not about uh you know you know the story of the emperor's new clothes you don't need me to kind of re- mansplain it to you but um see well that's a perfect example of misery lyrics and things i thought it was the emperor's no clothes emperor always wears no clothes which is also another book and it's a drug reference isn't it oh is it Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's more to do with that then. What it is, it's the, it's the emperor still wears no clothes because. Um, oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Because that yeah, that did. was it. It was like, you know, oh look at his finery. No, it's still it's just a naked dude. And it's like, oh look how amazing this band are. No, no, it's still still just the band, man. Of course, I get you. I get you. So, what are your favourite tracks on this album then? Well, not only do we share a favourite album, but we share a favourite track off that album because. <laughs> Cosmonaut is also my favourite track. I I do love... I mean, the whole album is brilliant. The whole album is absolutely brilliant. I love Pattern Against User. Mm -hmm. I love the way that that... It's just... I love the way it follows on from the opening track, Arc Arsenal. And Mm -hmm. I I really like the way that it starts and finishes with the same drum fill. I love that it has a hate. Starts and finishes. Yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant. Um... I love those. One of my favourite moments on the album is um, Invalid Litter Department. So the mm-hmm. last minute of that, when it, ah! it took me so it, long to realise. I was like, oh no, this is a 12 track album. What is it? Hang on, what track are we on? It's like the, de- yeah. the second, the last minute of that is so different to the first five that you're like, I thought it was a different track. Yeah, for, for ages. Because I'd listened to this on CD in my Discman while walking home from the night shift at my job. And um, so I'd never look at it. I'd just be listening the whole walk. Yeah. I, fin- I used to finish my shift at 3 a.m. and walk home. And um, just listen to it the whole way. Just amazing. Sorry, I've got a sweet in now. <laughs> what, are you, what are you having? Love art. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, the track that always sort of catches me off guard is uh, Enfilade, are we saying? Enfilade. Yeah, man. What a track. 
I mean, what that a Latin always infused. Beauty. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's got a blow organ solo in there. I That's mean, come on, mad, come on, yeah. load, of, load of congas all over it. It's now just... that it starts off, and again, I only recently found this out, but it's it's got a sort of spoken word. It's kind of like a kidnapped ransom letter, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Almost, uh, and it's Iggy Pop doing that as well. Uh, but when the actual track kicks in, it's like got these really sort of sp- eerily delayed drums. Which is a really unusual sound, certainly not one that I'd heard before, really. You know, a delay on the drums. Um, and it's got a really strange sort of vocal effect as well on it. It's almost like it's like a sort of chorus. It's, it's really... like a quite a quick phase or something on it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's really yeah. weird. It's, it's, it goes all over the place, that track. But yeah. I love how the bass riff kind of drives it, like we talked about other songs do. The, the drums are amazing. It's like the first time or the only time in the record where I'm like, these program drums, these electric yeah, drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they obviously get overtaken with the acoustic drums or the acoustic drums sound at some point. But um, it's, it's just a really, really cool track. And, and, and they do the, the two guitarists, Omar Rodriguez and uh, Jim Ward, they do atmosphere beautifully. Mm. And sort of almost nowhere better on this track because they're sort of very much secondary to the rhythm section at the start, at least. Lots of and then kind of like yeah, kind yeah. of high pitch repetitive riff that is just I don't know. I don't know. Just beautifully even, placed. Even at the end of one arm scissor there's like some sort of weird thirty second piano thing going on, really weird. Oh, thing, I love there? that. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those albums where the tracks bleed into one another. Like, like you know, for me, this is the greatest album of all time. It just, it just flows so beautifully. You couldn't imagine this album in any other order. No, no, totally. So, and, and like you say, it's, it's perfect. The, the peaks and troughs, like when you get to track five, uh, Invalid Little Department, that for me always kind of reminds me a little bit Talking Heads in the vocal delivery, a bit David Byrne. Mm, okay. Mm. You know, almost, almost, almost spoken, isn't yeah, yeah. it? It's almost like sort of spoken. Well, it um, is, yeah. It's it's one of those albums you can't help but sort of when you listen to it, you take on the energy of the album. Um, you know, like like you said, when you listen to it before and at the end of it, you're like, you're almost exhausted listening to it. <laughs> this is an album, if I go for a run, I'm not feeling it or I'm struggling in the run, I just pull this album on. And yeah. I start sprinting. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of them. It's one of them. It's it just it gives you something. It's I completely it's, it's agree. amazing. It's really it's a really difficult album to listen to, so much of the time. Yeah, <laughs> because because it's not something you put on when I don't know you're having dinner. It's not something you put on when you're reading a book. It's not something you put on when you're trying to get to sleep. Yeah, um, it does so fire you albums. up. Yeah, completely. I guess you're riled up and ready for the fight. I don't really know what fight, but it's, but you just, I don't know. I just think it's an endlessly uplifting album. It's yeah. just got so much going. It really it. has. Mm-hmm. It really has. I mean, do you often listen to this album? Because that's one of the things with like sort of, you know, favourite albums. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that you listen to them all the time. I mean, I'll I'll sort of fess up. I, I stuck it on. You know, I, I like I say, I stick it on if I'm having a, a, a bit of a bad time of running mm-hmm. or something like that, and I need a bit of a motivation. That's you know, like forget having a gel or having a flapjack. I'll just stick this album on. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, like I probably hadn't listened to this in a little while. How long's a little while? Uh, um, six months. Yeah, I mean, I'll listen. I'll listen to it a few times a year. 
Yeah, yeah, me but too. But I'm, I'm, I won't listen to it. I might go through a phase of listening to it a few times a week. Mm. But I won't, you know, it's not something I have on all the time. Um, but it's never far from my, you know, mind yeah. at all. It's often, it's one of those records where it's often, and I don't know whether this has got something to do with the fact that it's quite high up alphabetically, it's like right there, isn't it, when you go into your <laughs> iTunes and stuff. But quite often, if I can't decide what to put on, I'll go, oh, well, while I'm deciding, I'll stick on Relationship of Command and then just end up listening to Relationship of Command. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you're never, you're never disappointed. It's a very hard one to match mood-wise. You yeah. Know, like I was saying, you know, occasion-wise, also not an easy thing to pair with. I don't know, fine dining or um, having people round or, you know, it's definitely not background music. It's, it's, um, I don't know. I don't know when the occasions you listen to it are. It's when you really want to focus on an album and you're like, what's the best thing I could do right now? Yeah. It's probably this. Let's enjoy yeah. this. Totally. And you kind of bask in its glory. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So interestingly enough with the production, um, I read a bit of an interview with um, with Omar, Omar, mm. sort of dissing the production a little mm. bit. This is an interview with the Alternative Press that he did in 2010 when it was the 10-year anniversary of the album. And he was asked what's his least favourite thing about the album and his response was, in a heartbeat, one of my only regrets of anything that I've ever done uh, is the way that this record was mixed. And he's like yeah. really got an issue with it to the point where he says that he, he it's, the record is ruined by the mix and it's the one record I still to this day cannot listen to. I think that's a load of rubbish. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I... Um, so it's Andy Wallace who mixed it. Yeah. Who, who did other amazing albums like, you know, Nevermind. And, you know, in, in, in some quarters he's got flax for the mix he did of Nevermind because he polished it up from what Nirvana, Nirvana really were, which is a dirty, grungy band and made, oh, I don't know, just an incredible sounding, massive, brilliant, great album. Uh, you know, if it, had, if it had been produced the same way Bleach had been produced, it wouldn't have... No, it wouldn't have been as big as it was, would it? Let's, it let's wouldn't have honest. done anything. No one, would have, no one would have paid attention. Music would still be, we'd probably still be listening to Guns N' Roses all the time. Nothing wrong with Guns N' Roses. But, like, I I listen to this album. This doesn't sound polished. This doesn't sound like a hair metal album or anything. This is still... You can, like, this is raw and crazy. Like, Tool. Uh, that's a band I really like. Tool are, um, had a couple of albums mixed by a dance music producer. It didn't, at any point, take away from the kind of metal weirdness that tool are the yeah. performances were still incredible and weird and metal madness and a dance producer just put a certain quality to it where you could i don't know pick things out really clearly from the mix and be like whoa okay that's happening there wow i can hear that entire drum fill even though it's 30 seconds long this this i think the mix is amazing in my head, when I'm listening to this album, especially on headphones, I can I can position myself anywhere in the room and hear what's going on with that instrument, with that yeah. individual. There's so much noise that gets pulled 
out of the mix. Maybe it sounds bigger and slicker than they sound live. That ain't always a bad thing, no. Omar. No, no, I, 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 I wondered if it was a bit sort of trying to be a bit controversial or that, you know, like a bit yeah. outspoken. I mean, he, stri- he strikes me as a bit like that. Wasn't there that, that phase? So the Mars Volta was Omar and Cedric's sort of follow-up project, Well, I was going right? to say, so, okay, so mo- moving on, like you said, mm. they kind of imploded and, and you know, ten, mm. 10 months after this album was released, the, the band were no more and they all kind of went the separate ways. Um, I mean, they look like quite a destructive force <laughs> to be around. I mean, there's the, there's the infamous... Uh, festival in Australia where they come yeah. on and do it's the big day out and they come on and do um, what's supposed to be a 40 minute set they do three songs and then then do one and there's the quite a famous rant that uh, Cedric has at the, the the crowd for all being sheep and he starts barring at them doesn't he and you know because they refuse to stop moshing yeah. and slam dancing and things so they, they threaten to walk off and sure enough that's exactly what they do um, <laughs> but the performance itself is again it's like the Jules Holland one it's both it's both amazing and awful in sort of equal measures isn't it you know the, yeah. depending on what, what hat you want to put on to watch it um, <laughs> but yeah after after 10 months of, of this album you know the band are no more and they, they go the separate way so we get Omar and Cedric forming the Mars Volta who I was a huge fan of Mm. Um, watched them loads of times. In fact, we, we spoke about this on the podcast. I saw them at the Bowery Ballroom in in New York, yes, yeah. and I remember just being absolutely blown away. And and it was when um, uh, Cedric was doing the thing that he used to do with the mic, where he used to like sort of push the microphone stand yeah. almost in, into the crowd and then pull it back with the lead really yeah. fast, and it just looks so cool. It's like oh, this is amazing. Did this he have the? Did he have the massive long white lead on it as well? No, that was about ah. album three. He started yeah, doing yeah, that, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's when but, I saw him at Somerset House. Thomas Pridgen on drums and oh, incredible! Yeah, that was the album that Thomas Pridgen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and they always had incredible. I mean, John Theodore on the first album on the drums, mm-hmm. just just mm-hmm. In, insane drummer, and they've had uh, Dave Illich as well on 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 drums. You know, but the thing is, they were a very very hit and miss band. I've seen them live, <laughs> and I've thought. The, I, I, honestly, they probably are in my top three gigs of all time and my top three worst gigs of all time. <laughs> I went to see him at the Academy in Manchester. I went with a friend and we, um, you know, doors were like half seven. So we're like, we'll go and have a few beers. We'll go and have something to eat and we'll, we'll get in there for, we'll get in there for about quarter to nine in time to watch the support slot. So we get in there at quarter to nine. All the lights are off. We're like, oh, support slot's already on. No, Mars Volta are already on. So I said to the guy in the door, I'm like, what time did he go on? And he looks at his watch and said, oh, about an hour ago. And this is like one of the infamous tours that I've heard um, Simon Neal from Biffy talking about this tour as well, where I think he took his, at the time, his girlfriend uh, and was going on about how great this band was. And they played, they just jammed for three and a half hours. God. I mean, how self-indulgent can you get? Mm, And I was the same. I'd gone with a friend and I was like really bigging them up. This band are going to blow you away. And it's like, this is dreadful. This is just. Mm. Well, the live album, uh, maybe it came off that tour, was just unlistenable. Yeah, it's just rubbish. Yeah, but didn't they do that thing when, um, like, when they were tuning up in between songs, and they're like, "House lights on, please." This is as much part of the performance as the songs. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, no one wants to see you tune up. It doesn't matter. No. Just pretend this ain't happening and get on with it. I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, th- this is the thing. There, I, I really like. The first album, I really quite like. So that was Deloused in the Comatorium. Yeah, That's which amazing. is a concept album, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's you know, the, the, you know, there's all sorts of 
weird mm. sort of stories and stuff going on there. It's a super cool album. Amazing performances throughout. And then Francis the Mute is the second album, also uh, a concept album. I-, I found the production on that really quite hard because it just jumps at random points. Yeah. Uh, like often on the quieter songs, just... Because uh, Cedric really expands his sort of vocal range in that. He's just not, he's not just kind of screaming and shouting and stuff. He goes really, really high pitched. He can really sing that guy. Yeah. But man, they really push something when it on the quieter songs when he's singing, and it just—it's uh, quite uncomfortable to listen to production-wise. Compress the hell out of some stuff, really. really and strangely enough, for such an odd album, because that is a bizarre album. It's got mm. stuff. It's got a song with John Frusciante and Flea on yeah. on that album, and it's like, but that song itself, that sort of has about five minutes of noise and weird stuff before the song actually starts. It like starts halfway through the song, if you will. But then, from the album, they did that single called The Widow, yeah, which is yeah. arguably the most sort of radio-friendly mainstream thing they've yeah, ever yeah. done in, in any incarnation. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it's, uh, it's quite a beautiful song in a lot of ways. But it's... I don't know. It's quite mad. It's quite mad that they, they kind of had that up their sleeve. Yeah. So we had the Mars Volta on that mm. side, which was, you know, you know, maybe the crazy side of the, of the band. And then mm-hmm. the, the, I think I'm right in saying, was it the other three went off and formed Sparta? That's right, yeah. And Sparta were a band that I really, really loved. Like, probably, you know, I wasn't Team Sparta, but I think on balance I was probably like, oh, yeah, these songs are quite straightforward. I really like this stuff. You know, Mars Volta was very much like, whoa, okay, what's... What's going on here? <laughs> All right, this is going to take a bit of time. Um, I think in terms of kind of standing the test of time, I've probably gone... The last thing that came to him is 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 great. Francis and Mute was tricky. After that, I was like, oh, we'll pick out a couple of tracks, Thomas Pridgen coming in and, and, and playing the drums. It, it, quite, quite incredible. Um, but I, I did sort of lose interest in in the Mars Volta a little, a little after that. I was like, okay, this is, this is crazy enough for me now. Um, Sparta, definitely a lot more straightforward, kind of straightforward rock songs. Jim Ward gets a chance to sing, and I think Jim Ward's still doing Sparta. Um, um, Paul and uh, Tony aren't in it anymore, but uh, Sparta's still kind of going. So there was a there was a track called Collapse, I think it was, off their their album Wiretap Scars, which was their first album, which came out in 2002, which is just really quite beautiful. And um, yeah, I, I was really really into them for a bit. I mean, that's quite a slow paced, quite a conventional song, and, and you could see that actually when we talk about at the drive-in having those two guys going crazy, Omar and Cedric, and the rest of the band holding it together. It was probably it was probably really spelled out in in the two bands that came without the driving, mm. where Cedric and Omar just went nuts, and um, uh, the other three kind of put together a conventional band with really good songs, which yeah, kind of less lit up the world a little less, but was probably a lot more digestible and probably had a lot longer lifespan to it. So um, more sustainable, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, it's funny. Do you follow uh, any of those guys on, on Twitter? Well, actually, Adventures in New Music, <laughs> our, um, not Twitter, our Instagram account follows all of those guys on on Instagram. Yeah, but Cedric's, Cedric's quite short uh, hair now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what were you going to say? 
he's uh, he's quite he's quite prominent on the on the old gram, isn't he? Yeah, he's quite funny. I quite like yeah. him. Tony's nice, really wholesome guy. A lot of love for his family. He kind of grew up with his brother looking after him and stuff. Really cool. Yeah. So, what would you say to somebody who hasn't checked out this album, apart from go and check it out? Why should they go check it out? So I did this to our mate Paul. Went for lunch in Manchester. Got talking about this and I was like, mate, greatest album of all time. Go get it. Immediately went to Piccadilly Records, bought it. And I was like, mate, are you sure? Sorry, I didn't <laughs> I didn't mean to force you. Um, <clears throat> I just, when I talk about it, I get quite passionate. I get quite, like, every performance on this is, is masterful. The way it's put together, the story, it sort of weaves. You make up the story. I don't know really what the story is. But everything about this album is, is perfection for me. There's not a song that is out of place. There's not a, it's frantic and it's messy and yet it's somehow as, you know, yes, that's exactly how it should be. Yeah. That's where that should be and that's where that should be. And this is exactly how it should all sound. So uh, for me, it's 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 got the passion and the energy of, I don't know, something like Nirvana. It's got the the wildness and the fury of, of some of the best sort of metal out there. And yet it's kind of poetic and beautiful, like, I don't know, something Lou Reedy or Leonard Cohen or a book. It's 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 got everything, and uh, I just can't fault it. And every time I listen to it, I get excited about it, like I heard it for the first time again. Yeah, yeah, it does have that, doesn't it? Mm, it's incredible. So how would you approach it then if you were introducing it to someone? I think the album just it does the talking itself. I really, mm. I truly believe that. I truly believe that. You know, if you if if you stick it on, if you're into this sort of music, you're going to be on board from the off. As far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a wonderful album. It's it's absolutely brilliant. It's it's as close to perfection as as I've heard um, in my life. Hence the fact it's my favourite record. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's just great. The, everything, the performance, the delivery of the performance, the production. I don't care what uh, what Omar <laughs> says. Everything about this album, I think, is just absolutely spot on. And I think it's interesting at the time, I think it was met with quite high critical acclaim, mm. but I think it's now on reflection, it's seen as such an important album. I think now looking back, it's seen as, you know, I- even bigger than it was at the time. I think at the, I think at the time, people just thought this is a strong record, this is a great record, whereas now it's, I think it's it's important. It's moved into important territory, you know, it's it's a real yeah. trailblazer. Um so, yeah, add it to your record collection, people. Get it added. <laughs> Absolutely. And I tell you what, I'm glad that we don't need to pick a playlist track on this because that would be a tough shout. That would be a really, really, really tough call. Yeah, I mean, I always used to go Arc Arsenal, uh, Quarantined, and Cosmonaut as my favourites. But there's just there's a huge amount of variety in here. Among among the, the post-hardcore fury, um, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It... it there's not a bad song on it, not a weak moment. I just, no. I just, I love it. I love it, yeah. and I'll, I'll always love it. And I can't see it ever being replaced as as my favourite record ever. No, no, me neither. Well, superb. So that was Relationship of Command by At the Drive In. Um, 
do yourself a favour and get a copy of that if you haven't already. Um, that was great fun. That was just really, really cool. Just, <laughs> just being a bit self-indulgent and just chatting about <laughs> one of our one of our favourite records. Um, yep. So next time we see you, you hear us, uh, you download our podcast, um, whatever, uh, will be on slick, Monday, Monday the 20th of December. So that's in two weeks' time, um, just before Christmas. And we've got quite a job on our hands because we are going to do our two top fives each, aren't we? We're going to oh do top God. top five uh, records that we've featured on the podcast and top five records uh, of the year that we haven't featured on the podcast, so ones that didn't qualify because they're from acts that we've already heard or own records. So um, this is going to be quite a hard two weeks because... Well, for a kickoff, it's been a phenomenal year for music. We've listened to 60 albums for the podcast and probably about the same again, <laughs> not for the podcast. And somehow we're going to have to whittle them down to just 10 records each. <sighs> Mate, I'm on, uh, I think I'm on 11, top 11 for the podcast and a top nine for not podcast. Well, you're doing better than me. Uh, what are you you're on? doing better than me. Oh, d- well, I made a shortlist the other day of albums that I've enjoyed this year, and we were we were over mid thirty, you know, oh, thir- about thirty eight. It's just been an incredible, incredible year for music. Um, you know, we said this last year, but you know, it's outstanding. New music is still one of the best things ever. Yes. You know, Agreed. it's uh, it's it's so so good, and there's so much good stuff out there. So. Very much going to look forward to doing this next podcast because it's, it's really, it really is a highlight of the year for me. Um, not even talking about podcasts now. It's a highlight. You know. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get out much. This is like a night out for us. So Seriously. join us on the 20th when we'll crack open a bottle of port. Um, are we going to do presents? Oh, yeah. Why not, eh? Oh, God. Right. That's something else to think about. Oh. Yeah, let's. <laughs> we do import, though, again. Yeah, good idea. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Don't have to be poor. We'll chat about this. We'll chat about, we'll chat about this off record. We could do sherry. Could do sherry. Mm. After raid me grandma's. Uh... No. Well, I've got some in. <laughs> I couldn't think what the word is then, so I just left yeah, it as after raid me grandma. Yeah. I know that it... sounds awful. And she's anyway. dead. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. So thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> um, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you later. Stay safe, everyone. Bye.